Effective Fam, welcome to today's episode. We got someone really awesome coming today. Jimmy Kimmel, wait, sorry. <laughs> Jimmy Conrad is coming today. Four-time MLS Best 11 player, US men's national team player. Uh, now he's got his own YouTube channel. He's doing really well. And today we got him on the show. On the show, I don't even know what this is, a vlog. Whatever this is, we've got him here today because we want to get deep with him. We want to know who is the real, I mean the real, real Jimmy Conrad. I've seen a lot of videos of you mm -hmm. doing a lot of like entertaining stuff, FIFA videos, match predictions, etc. And I know you've been playing professional football, professional soccer for many, many years. But I think there's like a lot of value and, and knowledge and wisdom that you have, which people don't know enough of yet. And that's why I reached out to you today to do some sort of, I don't know what you call it, it's a vlog, an interview. What do we call this, guys? Something. Interrogation. Whoa, whoa, whoa. I want to interrogate you. Some handcuffs involved or what? <laughs> I want to interrogate you about your experience. Mm -hmm. And to our audience, what do you think it takes to make it? What do you think about that? Yeah, I'm, I'm in. Yeah. Because there's a, I do have a lot. I have a brain dump on everybody. And I like brainwashing the next generation. So I'm here yeah. for you guys. So Jimmy, you showed an incredible amount, level of skill in your career. Um, I appreciate you saying that. Yeah, that <laughs> header against Mexico. Yes, of course. Yeah. I don't let anybody forget that. <laughs> the tackle against Messi. Yes. Uh, beating me in the crossbar challenge. Yes, these are big career highlights big for me. Career yeah. highlights. Um, but there's one thing that I saw on uh, the weekend in the Wembley Cup, which was pretty great. Um, <laughs> this. On the last shoulder of Jimmy Conrad, whose shoulder is it away like it's nothing. Give it a little. Give a little, yeah, uh, a little bit of oh, shoulder left. A little bit of this, where as most players, maybe especially young players, they might have gone like the ball's coming to them, you're the last man, and then they just might have like hesitated and the ball would have dropped into the to the back of the net or whatever. <laughs> so explain what was going through your head in that situation. Yeah, I think more often than not, there is always one solution to every single play. Now you might not pick the right solution, mm -hmm. right? I might have headed the ball, could have gone out for a throw in or I could have missed it completely, and now I would have been a 1v1 with Jezza trying to like not give up a breakaway, whatever it may be. I chose a solution where I like to keep the ball, I like to keep possession. I, I, I was a math major in college, and if you're into math, there's always one solution. Yeah. And so I have this kind of brain where I like to figure out what's the easiest solution, what's the one that's going to let off the most amount of pressure. And that was the one. I had a, a guy in front of me, I think Jack Harrison maybe, who had some, or Robbie Savage. Had some time on the ball if I could get it to him with, with some good pace on it. Mm. Uh, I went for the cheeky shoulder mm. because the way Jezza was playing off of me, he didn't really, didn't really seem like, and I think you can tell body language mm. when you're playing against another opponent, mm. it didn't seem like he really wanted to go for the header either. Mm. He was just trying to be difficult. Right. So once he gave me a little bit of space, it was easier for me to pull off right. the cheeky shoulder. And that uh, comes through experience, I guess. Right? It does, yeah. yeah. I mean, I guess the experience comes from, okay, if that doesn't come off, mm. I already know what what the, the danger is right so if i miss it well i'm already in a position to, to try to get there first and you have to know that if i do miss it and I'm, I'm prepared to maybe miss it then i'm gonna be quicker to the ball than jezza who's maybe not anticipating me missing it does that make sense yeah. so so he would have to react whereas i already know that that's what's gonna right, happen right. so i feel like even if because jezza was right here yeah and i went and did this and played it and we got it simple and we, and we turned around and kept them under pressure but if I had, even if I had missed it, Jezza wasn't looking at the ball, so I still could have been in a position to, to win it either way. So I kind of had maybe one or two or three solutions, mm. but in that one, I went with the cheeky one. So in, in that game, too, it's still kind of a, I won't say all-star game, it's kind of an American phrase there, but, <laughs> but you know, not, you're taking it serious, but at the same time, 
it, there's not that much writing on the game, so you can get away with at, doing at the some same, moves. At the same time, though, there are like 30,000, what, 30, 40,000 people in Wembley? Yeah, year. yeah. Um, hundreds of thousands watching through the live stream. <laughs> yeah. And millions and millions that will watch the actual final video. Yeah. And, and they'll see that. But, <laughs> like, I think a lot of young players, especially the young players that are watching through Train Effective um, and players in general, they're, that's going to happen to them and they're just going to get nervous. Mm -hmm. and that's why I want to ask you the question, um, how do you play with no fear? Well, you know, the fear of making a mistake, because I think that cripples, and that's crippled me in the past, mm -hmm. but it cripples so many players of, of like playing. So. Yeah, I would say that the way you learn is through experience, right? So I've seen that play thousands of times, mm. and I've made plenty of mistakes in that situation. And yeah, you get confident in that. The, the hardest thing, I think, to develop is that confidence. Even when we did the crossbar challenge, mm. I shanked about four of those, yeah. but I didn't waver in my belief that I could do it. Mm. And that gave me the confidence to finally hit it. Had, yeah. I, had I, after I like, put my head down, after that one where I hit it on the ground, mm -hmm. you know, I talked about it on camera, like, well, I still gotta stay. It's the next play that's the most important play. I still have to have confidence in myself. And I hit it. Mm. And even though you were more consistent, I'm the one that actually finished the job and did it. Right, I mean, there's, some, there's, <laughs> there's something to that, yeah. right? I appreciate your consistency, but you didn't actually achieve the task. Mm. So. It, there's there's something to that. So I would say that as a player, and I coach as well, and one of the things that I tell my players is when you're on the ball, I just need you to make a decision. Get it, play it, move, whatever it is. Mm. But if you stay on the ball and like are uncertain and don't make a decision at all and you mm. seem nervous, I actually can't help you as a coach mm. because I don't know what you were thinking to do. Mm. Like if you make a decision and it's not the right decision, now you have something to work off of. Like, right. hey, that, that play didn't work in that instance. Mm. So more often than not, I try to pull off my players after they do something positive to say, hey, listen, that decision was excellent. In that, with that situation and where you were on the field, that was exactly the right decision. I want to reinforce that, get some water, and I'll put you back in. Okay. And so, so they know right away to put that in their frame of, you know, in their memory bank, that was the right thing. So when right. I'm in that situation again, that's exactly what I'm going to do. So it's just like, that's, that's the tip to people watching. Don't be indecisive. Don't Just be indecisive. Make a decision. Just make a decision. Make a decision. Because then, then, then you'll learn. Like, oh, all right, I did that last time and it yeah. didn't work. Yeah. Now next time I can do it. Yeah. I mean, I played with Steven Gerrard in the Wembley Cup. Mm. The guy made, I don't know, six or seven turnovers. Mm. But he's trying things. And by him trying, he now knows what he can get away with the next time, mm. right? Because if somebody maybe overplayed his right foot, right. well, now he knows, okay, I can just take it to my left and try it there. But he's got to try those passes, even if they're turnovers, to understand how it's going to open up the next time. Whereas now I mean, the defender can think, oh, now I know Stevie G's going to do this. Yeah. But Stevie G's got so much experience that he's like, all right, if you take that away, I'm going to go where you left me open the, the, the last time. Does that, right. that make sense? So just, you, just, have to, you have to make these decisions. Mm. To, to understand how the game is going to open. And you'll never know if you don't test it every once in a while. Right. So there should be no fear in making decisions. Now, if you're trying cheeky stuff in the final third in your defending end, mm. yeah, you're probably getting into some trouble, right? And I got into trouble a lot. Mm. I try like, uh, my coach in Kansas City would be like, what are you doing with all those you know, cheeky step overs <laughs> and stuff? Because I still wanted to showcase my personality and what I was about. And yeah. he wanted me to play in a back three where I just marked the other forward. Yeah. I just felt like a grunt. You know, I'm just marking this guy the whole time like this, you know, and that didn't do anything for me. That's not what excited me about the game. I wanted to play and showcase to people that I could play. And that was, uh, 
that was hard for me because I had to find that balance. There's, there's moments in the game where I could do that, but there are moments where I just needed to do my job. And so you have to know your coach, you have to know the system you're playing, and there's a lot that factors into it. And, and what I really liked about the Wembley Cup this time around, as opposed to last year, was that I was playing with Hashtag, and for these guys, this is the biggest game of their lives, mm. playing in front of Wembley and 35,000 people yeah. or whatever it is, and just to see how nervous they were. Because I'd played them with other games, and there's only 100 people out yeah. there and whatever, but they were properly nervous, and, and <laughs> I thought they performed well, but you really learn how important it is between the ears. Mm. You know, a lot of guys have the talent, but if they don't have it here, then it doesn't really matter. You can take whatever you want from that. Just make me good. sound smart. So, Jimmy, um, part of what we do with Train Effective is really kind of deconstruct what separates the good from the great performers. I think it's like a really fascinating topic because, like, maybe not to the level of... People have their opinions about Ronaldo and Messi and what separates them from mm -hmm, the rest, mm -hmm. but let's get a little bit, like, less than that. Let's say, what separates, like, the, the budding college player, the uh -huh. good college player from, uh -huh. say, an MLS player, um, or say an Australian A-League player uh -huh. from a Premier League player. Both are obviously good players, but there's still this gap between them. Even though, even though both of those professional players might have done a lot of training, um, might have made a lot of sacrifices, but what is that like the separation, good to great? I would say the, the first thing for sure, when I made the jumps from high school to college, to the pros, to the national team, mm. is that people make less mistakes. So they see situations, they make decisions quickly, mm. and they don't dawdle on the ball, which is what we talked about earlier about being indecisive. They, they know their decisions, they know their three options. And I remember what I really appreciated about playing at the highest levels was that everybody was so good <laughs> that it was almost easier to play with my national team than it was with my club team. Really? Yeah, because I could focus just on my job. Right. Everybody was so good at their job that if I just and, I, and if I gave it to a person in a certain situation, they always got out of it. Right. And for me, the game was easier with the national team. Now you're playing against opponents who were very good, so you had to be on it. Also, I feel like are there times in games, and this is probably a question for you, mm. where if you're playing, let's say, men's league or Sunday league mm. versus maybe a non-league game, or, or you're stepping up, stepping up a level or two, you have less time to think about the next play. You just have to keep going next it's, one it's next like one, you next have one. to you have to make the decision before you get the ball right all the time and that's on the ball right so say the ball goes out for a throw-in yeah if i'm playing at let's say a lesser level then you know the throw-in takes in i have plenty of time like man i'm tired oh god what a, you know you have like these other thoughts that that seep in mm. when you're with the national team man, the plays are like this you don't have time to think about the pass at all it's always that roll of the ball and i always like that because i had a, a tendency when i was younger especially to be like oh man i gave up that ball three passes ago and my coach is going to be upset at me. And you, you, have no time to, you have, you have no, no time, time for that. Yeah, yeah. no dwelling uh, when you go up to higher levels because you don't have time. Because then all of a sudden it's going to snowball on you and you're going to just make mistake after mistake after mistake. And I really like that. Um, and I responded well to that. I responded well to the pressure. But that was just, I loved pressure. I loved playing in the biggest games. I wanted to be able to play in the biggest games to prove to everybody that I could do it. So I really thrived on that mentality. Not everybody has that mentality. But you have to, it doesn't just come out of nowhere. You have to embrace it. So I knew that every time I stepped up a level, because I didn't get drafted out of college, I walked on the first time, I didn't get a scholarship or any of that. So I was kind of the little engine that could, didn't start right away, had to fight for everything. And that's why I lasted the longest. I had a 12 year career because I could deal with adversity, because I was told I wasn't good enough, because I was told I would never play 
in MLS or the U.S. Men's National Team. And I'm like, well, I'll just I'll prove you wrong. Who, who, it, who has the right to tell me what I can and can't do? It's only up to me to decide mm. how good I am, not anybody else. And once you really understand that, you're off to the races because then you're like, whoa, I can actually go out and work on my game. And it's up to me how good I am. Wow. And it's the same story as like your friend Jay Demerit. Yeah. Um, he moved to England, mm -hmm. I think, with $400 or something in his mm -hmm. pocket when he was, I think, 23, 24. Which is Played. really, really old yeah. to like try to break in. Because more often than not, when you're trying to talk to clubs, they're like, oh, well, you're 18. You have a lot of potential. Mm -hmm. So, you know, they want to take a chance on you. But when you're 23 or 24, most clubs are like, ah. Like most players are established. They've right, been playing right. professionally for years already. So his story is incredible. Jay yeah, Demerit's crazy. He's the man. So Jay Demerit, he started from non-league. If you don't know anything about him, um, Jay Demerit, he started from non-league in England and kind of worked his way up until eventually he played for Watford, uh, got into championship playoff final, and he scored, I think, the winner? He did. He scored a goal. It was 3-0, I think, overall, but he scored the, the first goal, the game winner, yeah. And ended up playing in the Premier League yeah. and uh, World Cup. That's right. So were you in the same World Cup squad as? No, I was in 06, 06 and he was 2010. Right. Yeah. And uh, yeah, the funny joke that I like to give him a hard time about is we're pretty similar in terms of our mentality and how we play. <laughs> Um, kind of hard on our sleeve, we'll do anything for the team kind of thing. And, and if, if he hadn't come around, I probably would have played in two World Cups. But he, <laughs> he, just was, he played better than me at that time. And, and so I, I have nothing but respect for him. But we're good friends now. And um, it's, uh, it's cool because I feel like we have similar stories yeah. in terms of, I mean, his is a lot more incredible than mine, but in terms of just fighting for everything that we got. Right. So, so back to the original question. Sure. You think what separates good from the great is like the little things. Grit. It's grit. grit. Well, it's a mentality. Um, I, there's definitely technique and skill and all that involved. I believe that obviously not turning the ball over, right? There's just like this little bit of quality with each jump. Mm. And I remember, and this is a trick that I did, like a mind trick that I tried, and I couldn't keep it up. But in 2001, which is going to make me sound really old, I probably shouldn't give him the year. <laughs> I was playing with the San Jose Earthquakes, and the captain of the national team, Jeff Agus, was on my team in San Jose. And he'd get called into camp, which is like the coolest thing. When you're with your club team and you get called into the national team, <laughs> you must feel like a stud, yeah. right? Like, yeah, guys, I got I to gotta take off for two <laughs> weeks. I'm going to go fly all over the world to play for my national team. I mean, that just sounds like the coolest thing. Yeah. And I remember thinking, I was running with my, my teammate at the time. Like, I wonder what that feels like, you know, coming, because he came back. And when he comes back, you know, it's, his chest is all puffed, and he's like the man. Yeah. Like, what is that glow? What is that aura around him right now? You can't replicate that confidence. Mm -hmm. So I told him, I said, you know what? I'm going to just act like I played for the national team just for a couple days and see what that feels like, that confidence. So, so this is already when you're playing for an MLS club? Yes. You saw him go to the national team? Yeah, I was, 20, I was 22 at the time. Yeah. And... Uh, we went on to win the MLS Cup that year. It's right. the only time I went, ended up winning the league. We had a really good team. So once he came back, I just, like, I gotta be, I gotta act like him. So for three straight days, I just acted like I played for the national team. And that, like, reshaping my mind to see what that confidence was like, was incredible. But I was doing, like, cheeky back heels. I was playing, laughing, having a good time. Like, <laughs> I felt like I could do anything because I just embodied this confidence that I had never tried before. And at that point, I was really inconsistent in my confidence, right? I have a bad pass or a bad play. And what ends up happening is if you have a bad pass and you put your head down and everybody knows that you're disappointed about it, it reinforces 
what people think about you. So they're like, oh, well, yeah, he can't make that pass out wide or he can't hit that big, that big long ball or whatever it is. But even though I continue to try it, if you miss hit it, mm. it just reinforces, especially if you put your head down. But then I started to learn too. So this is another mind trick I'm giving you. Jedi um, mind tricks. They're Jedi mind tricks. <laughs> I love it. Was that I, uh, anytime I made a mistake, because I knew that on TV you have to get used to the camera like being right on you if there's a mistake being made, you just got to be super confident afterwards. So what I would do is if I made a mistake on the ball, I would, I would either um, kind of point at somebody and just start talking, even though I wasn't really talking to anybody <laughs> all the time. Like, like, okay, so you're on the pitch, and uh, let's say you're the opponent. Yeah. And um, I don't know, I make a mistake and I pass it to you. And he goes off and scores. Yeah. And you're like, no, no, no. Well, yeah, I'll just try to like, I'll try to do something so that it would just take me out of my shell of, I immediately wanted to put my head down. Right. And feel sorry for myself. But instead, I'd either, I wouldn't clap because that would kind of look almost too rah-rah, too cheery. Yeah, yeah. So I would try to just like try to go talk to somebody about, hey, you know, what could we do different? Even though like it was nothing that person was so, doing, it was more <laughs> for me to like not have to put my head down. Right. So I had all these things. But back to the other, the, the captain story. So three days I did this, you know, acting like I was with the national team. Yeah. And then I had one practice where I just kind of made a few mistakes yeah. and I, I just put my head down again and I couldn't shake it. And all of a sudden I couldn't regain that confidence until I finally got with the national team. Wow. But I mean, you figure out ways to do it. So what I also what I would do is I would watch Champions League games and I would only watch the player that I in the position that I played in. I'd, I'd watch how many times he did a one touch pass, two touch pass, when he headed it, when he decided to play forward and when he didn't based on the situation, how much pressure he had on him, when he played it, or excuse me, when he played across to the other center back, when he played the defensive midfielder. And I'd look to see kind of the positioning of the other team. And you realize these guys are all making decisions that you would probably make too, and they're not right. doing anything revolutionary. And I was watching, I think, Marseille, or Marcel Desailly uh, for one game, and then Alessandro Nesta uh, for a few games, and I would just write to see their decisions. And when you really just watch one player, it's not as complicated as it might look when you're watching the ball and all these things are happening. And, and uh, it was, it's, it's incredible. And then also I would write down goals. So I would write down goals ahead of a season. And I remember one of my goals was... Uh, I want to get MLS Defender of the Year, and I want to uh, get into my first national team camp. And without having any really close, being even close to all that stuff, and I ended up winning MLS Defender of the Year and getting into my first national team camp. So nice. you have to have these like realistic ones, like oh, yeah, I want to score three goals this year with my head or whatever it is. And you put, well, you know, I want to have you know 15 shutouts, these yeah. stuff that you probably have a good chance of achieving, yeah. and then you have to put some big ones. So I put some big ones and then I'd have daily goals, you know, no mistakes today. Or if I do make a mistake, this is how I'm going to handle it. I was insane. I find, uh, sometimes now I'll look through boxes and I'll find all these little note cards that I wrote to myself. Wow. Um, to keep, to keep me just because you have to keep it on track because you're going to feel so bad about yourself sometimes and you have to figure out a way to keep moving forward without with learning from the past, yeah. but also you know, not letting you be an anchor. It's, it's exactly what we preach. Like, um, we, we do these things because we have like, we just had our first guest, uh, Chatty, with this thing called the in-residence program. Mm -hmm. We got this guy from Sweden who wanted to stay in the effective house. Okay. We got a house in London. Sweet. And um, we we're writing, writing goals for him. And um, something I did earlier as well was like, right, like long-term, like where do I see myself in 10 years? Mm -hmm. And then like five years and then one year and then month. And yeah, then yeah. Day, daily. Uh -huh. So it's, it sounds like exactly yeah. what you did too. Uh, you have to have it. I, I think it helps kind of shape the direction you want to go in mm -hmm. and helps you focus like where you want to go and, and 
I don't know, kind of keeps that, that's micro and macro, it's some business terms, but you know, short-term goal, short goals, mm-hmm. goals working towards your long-term goals. Wow. I can't even say that. Your short-term, short-term goals, goals working, working towards, towards your long-term, long-term goals. goals. <laughs> that's, it. that's it, I got it, that's spit awesome. it out. So I guess to recap with what separates good from great, you think it's, it's little things. It's one, grit, just like going mm-hmm. through that, those shitty times when, when it feels like nothing is happening and mm-hmm. just, just sticking through it. Mm-hmm. Second uh, is acting with more confidence. Mm-hmm. And third, just goal setting, constantly working towards like what is your actual vision so it makes the day-to-day grind easier, mm-hmm. I guess. Mm-hmm. That's in a nutshell, I guess, yeah? <laughs> in a nutshell. There's a lot there. Yeah. But I think you're trying to gain advantages wherever you can. And as you get higher and higher up the food chain, as it were, everybody's pretty similar technique-wise. Mm. Everybody's pretty similar tactically. But what makes you a little bit different? How tough are you? And I think the guys that are the toughest mentally are the ones that end up sticking around the longest. Wow. Yeah. Great. That was perfect with the yeah, sun, sun coming in now. <laughs> so, Jimmy, I watched you interview the great Landon Donovan. Mm-hmm. Everton legend. Everton legend. <laughs> um, U.S. national team legend. Of course, of course. Captain, former captain. Yeah. And, um, He's done some things. He, you, you guys were talking about... 10,000 hours? 10,000 hours. All right, let's keep that rolling. <laughs> you guys are talking yeah, about... I remember ten, the interview. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You, you remember because you did it. Yeah, I did it. Um, the 10,000 hour rule. He said himself that he is a subscriber to the 10,000 hour rule. Mm-hmm. What are your thoughts on that? It's hard to argue against the 10,000 hour rule. The more you play with the ball, the better you're going to get. Mm. My only concern when people throw that around casually is that it needs to be 10 hours with purpose. So when you train, there's thought behind why you're training. So for me in particular, I wouldn't just go out to the park and play for 45 minutes a day and just like kind of half dribble and maybe I'll just try to shoot or whatever. I always had a a plan. Like today I'm working on my left foot. Uh, The next day I'm working on two touch. Uh, The next day I'm working on long balls. The next day I'm working on, you know, trapping off to the side or whatever it may be. Or or when I get the, like getting the ball under control and then accelerating into space. Right. Right. I I had, always like I go tough. Big fan I heard. (laughs) Big train effective fan over there. Uh, so (laughs) I wanted to really work on all the aspects of the game, especially situations that I knew that I was going to see a lot. So when I, as a center back, if I do win a ball, I got to get it to the next guy as soon as possible. And I probably need to play forward because there's a good opportunity as a center back to break the lines of pressure very quickly. And if I can get that ball forward as fast as possible and into a spot or to the, to the right foot of a player, not necessarily the right foot, but the, the foot away from the defender, it gives him an opportunity then to break the next line of pressure. So these little things matter and I tried to practice those little things as much as possible. So having really determined and purposeful training uh, makes a big difference. Mm-hmm. And, and I, I'm always surprised, even with my audience, when they ask me similar questions, mm-hmm. how they really didn't think about the structure of how they were training. They just go out there and run around for 30 minutes without really having a plan. And I think you have to have a plan because it, it keeps you focused. And one of the biggest things that I learned in my playing career, I was 15 and my club coach brought over the father of a player that played for the national team. And I only had one question. And the question I had was, how did he play for the national team? <laughs> and he basically said, my son went out and trained every day by himself for two hours. Right. And that for me was a light bulb. Like, well, then it's up to me. Yeah. Like, I can do that. 
And then you realize you go out there and you train like, whoa, I actually am not very good. Yeah. And that's a hard reality because you think in your head, oh, I can do all these things. But then when you go out there and actually try to train, right. I couldn't juggle very well. I couldn't, my left foot, I usually just stood on it, mm. you know, and then as I got better, FIFA gave me a five-star weak foot, you know? <laughs> Dreams are possible, yes. everybody. Dreams are possible. I still can't believe they did that, but I, 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 I'm happy that they did. Yeah. So there's these little things uh, that you can work on, and, and I think having a plan is really important, especially stuff that's specific to your position, because I feel like everybody wants to be a playmaker now. Everybody watches highlights on YouTube, and it's all these top plays by all mm. the guys, and, yeah. and there's just so much more subtlety to being a good player when, when you receive the ball and, and how you receive it when the pressure's coming at you. Yeah. And, and I think there's a lost art right now of, of the little things. And I, if I can encourage anybody watching, it's just don't let those little things slide by. Yeah. You know? And there's a big emphasis on freestylers too, doing right. all these tricks. I never worked on tricks because I knew I would never do yeah. them in a game. Yeah. So why am I gonna waste any time doing tricks? There's just, it's just my, my coaches would have killed me even though I still tried to pull some off every once in a while, more step overs, <laughs> but only because there was, there was thought behind it. Like if I did this, then that would open up some space and I would look cool and all that. You gotta lose that every, you gotta mm -hmm. find that balance. But, but yeah, the tricks didn't do anything for me. So when I go do stuff with freestylers now on yeah. YouTube, like people are like, hey, do that trick. I'm like, I don't do tricks, man. <laughs> if you wanna play, I can play. But if you wanna do tricks, that's, you gotta go find somebody else. Right. Yeah, and that's, um, 10,000 hour was something that I applied to myself. I was telling you my story, mm -hmm, Jimmy. Mm -hmm. When I was 16, uh, I started this blog. I wanted to become a professional footballer, but I had no connections, no experience. Um, none of this academy, play, I never played at academy or anything. But I read Outliers, the book Malcolm Gladwell, mm -hmm, Outliers, mm -hmm. which talked in depth about the 10,000 hour rule. You do 10,000 hours of deliberate practice. Mm -hmm. and yeah, deliberate and practice. Deliberate it's practice, key, yeah. very key. And um, I applied that, started training 20 hours a week. That's like three hours a day. Didn't matter if it was winter. I was living in Hungary at the time, which in winter is freezing. Brutal, yeah. Um, but I, I'd find every way to try and train, uh, whether it was before school, after school, in the basketball gym, on a squash court, That's great. Uh, in like a dance hall. I assume you improved. No. No? no I, <laughs> I did. I was like, well, <laughs> the video's over. We're done. That would miss the point of this video. I did that and I ended up training with, long story short, I had a lot of downs, but I focused on that training and I went from strength to strength to strength. I went from, uh, my first trial with, was, was with AFC Wimbledon, mm -hmm. who back then were not even, I think, eighth tier, seventh tier still. And I trained with like their under 17 side and, and um, I failed that. But every time I went to those trials, I got, what are my strengths? What are my weaknesses? What's the coach saying? Right. And I would apply all those things to my training. Yeah, yeah. That's what we talk about, deliberate, yeah. specific practice. Like the, the coach said I wasn't fast enough, so I'm working my speed. I do plyometrics. I do uh, exercises to make me dribble faster, mm -hmm. blah, blah, blah. And I, I do these things, and then um, I actually started training with a national team in Australia. Um, trained with a national team, under 20s. They were going to the World Cup that year. Um, and then I didn't make it, but I keep getting this feedback and feedback until one day I was offered a contract to play professionally. Uh, in Hungary, actually, it's a great story. And then, um, so that, that's why that's why I fundamentally believe in this ten thousand hour rule. Yeah. But I also fundamentally believe in the power of like this deliberate practice and not just going out like the fun thing that we did today with the crossbar challenge. That's cool. Maybe if you need to work on your long pass technique or whatever, mm -hmm. but you can't be doing that for three hours a day and expect to be like become a professional or whatever, mm -hmm. right? Um, no, I think uh, to to go off of that. I would do the same. So you get this feedback from coaches. Yeah. You know, if I was on the team, if I wasn't on the team, I would just go 
hey, you've seen me play. What do you think my weaknesses are? Mm. And then they would lay out, hey, well, you're not very good at this, this, and this. And then I would make sure that they could never say that was a weakness again yeah, the next yeah, time right. I saw them. And so that was it's good because it, it, it focuses you. Yeah. If you want to know exactly what you should go work on, just go ask somebody right. that's seen you play a few times. The, the motto is like, just be okay with whatever they say because it's probably going to hurt when they tell you that you're not good at something. It's like the motto is like, make your weaknesses your strengths mm -hmm. and your strengths like second nature. Like, right. Just, that's boom. it. Yeah. yeah. And um, I think, I think what you also what you're talking about is positive thinking. Mm. You have to visualize yourself being able to do it. Yes. Um, in my goal against Mexico, I had a crazy visualization about me scoring the night before. Really? In the same goal. Because we, we, the beauty. Wait, have, you, have you talked about this before? No, I don't think I have. Exclusive. Exclusive. <laughs> but the, the beauty of, well, I, I don't know if I've talked about it on camera, okay. but the beauty of visualization uh, is that muscle memory or if you seeing yourself actually do it is incredible. Now, the day before, we get to train in the stadium before a big match. So we had gone through some set pieces and I missed one during practice. I had a clear header, almost in the same exact spot and I just went wide. But I was feeling like, ah, I got myself in a good spot. And I knew that, you know, I, I, there was something about just, I had some extra energy for that. Like, if I can just get on the back end of this, I bet you I can get on, get onto something, put something on goal. And I remember visualizing scoring in the goal that I did score in. Wow. And it feeling very similar to how I visualized it. It's almost like it had already happened. I just needed to do it again. That's crazy. It's a trip. Yeah. So positive thinking is really important. Um, visualizing what you want to do. So if you're working on two touch and you just have trouble or maybe you don't have confidence on the ball, just visualize yourself doing it. Ball coming to your left foot, playing it over to your right, giving it to the next guy. Right to left, giving it to the next guy. Maybe there's some, you know, visualize somebody on your back. You're holding them off. You make the right pass, play it somewhere else. Like you have to see yourself doing it all the time. And if you give yourself even just 10 minutes, five minutes, whatever it is of you kind of going through these plays, or if you're about to go out to the park and you want to work on these very specific things that you've laid out for yourself in a plan, mm. visualize yourself doing it first. And I, I, for whatever reason, it's going to become a lot more natural and, and more fluid for you once you get going. Wow some deep insights here but it's like it's such a psychological thing it is um i was talking to one player who said an interviewer asked him like um how many hours do you do you work on football a day and i think he said 24 7 because it's such a mental thing like you're thinking about what you're going to do before practice or mm -hmm, a game mm -hmm. what you're going to and then there's an actual component of doing it the training or the game and then you're thinking about the mistakes you made mm -hmm. or if you're a really positive thinker the good things that you did and flushing those mistakes away so I would say that there's some something healthy about having some balance in your life so there's a time and place for this maybe let's say 18 hours of the day but make sure that you okay. give the other six hours eight hours you do need to have something else to go do you need to enjoy your life a little bit so the guys that are 24 7 with the sport though they might get far mm. I feel like sometimes they sacrifice almost too much they sacrifice a lot of relationships. They sacrifice, you know, maybe building some bonds that could be helpful post-career. And I don't know. I, I, I guess in some ways I'm torn because I think it's important to have a life outside of the game um, because it, that will sometimes keep you sane. Like it, I needed to have a shut off. Right. If I was brewing about a bad play, like I needed to get over that pretty quickly. Now that doesn't mean you should be doing alcohol and drugs, but it does mean like going to play video games with your friends or, or, you know, maybe playing a different sport, going ping pong. I love ping pong bowling, or it's just something a little bit different, uh, to kind of break you out of that, that routine. But that's something that everybody 
will glom onto differently. Like you're going to have a different way to decompress right, as right, opposed right. to me. It's just finding something, kind of an outlet to do something else. Right. And so for me, I used to write uh, for Sports Illustrated and ESPN as a player. Uh, I used to have my own radio show. So I was already kind of dabbling in the, in the media world a bit, which is why my transition to media hasn't been all that hard. Right. The, I just feel like you need a little bit of that. Okay. And so I would encourage um, having something to get you out of that. But I'm really fascinated by this topic because, like, did, did you ever feel like the radio stuff and the writing stuff took over football? Uh, that's a good question. So it, it did become a distraction only because coaches were like, we don't like that. Right. And once the coaches made me aware that they didn't like it, that's when I started to get hypersensitive about it. Mm. Before, it didn't, it didn't impact me at all. I was like, yeah, this is just something I do. I get to show off my personality in a way that I don't normally do. And I didn't think it was a distraction and it didn't bother my teammates. Mm. Um, and everybody was cool with it. But once the coaches said, hey, we, we, we kind of have an issue with it, which I think was more of their ego than, than anything I was doing, that made me really self-conscious. And like, oh, well, now if I say this, my coach is going to be pissed. And so I didn't really want to do it anymore. And I do think in some ways, as I got older and as I accomplished everything, and this is like another layer to it, when I got to the World Cup and played and held my own, I was really proud of, my, of myself. Mm. Like I had done everything that I ever wanted to do. I got to play in a World Cup and hold my own against some of the best players in the world. I didn't have anything left to prove. <laughs> and when I came back from the World Cup, I was a little bit depressed because I didn't know what was next. Right. I had planned out my everything. I had proved everybody wrong and I proved myself right. <laughs> yes. Yeah, it was an amazing feeling, yeah. a huge accomplishment. When I got home, I was like, well, now what? Yeah. I, am I going to do this all over again for four years or what do I do now? And, right. and I went from being the guy that was the underdog that nobody thought could do it, and proved everybody wrong. Everybody's like, oh, dude, you're great. Yeah. Everybody now is on my side yeah. and now I'm the guy that everybody needs to catch. I had been trying to catch everybody else and to be the guy at the top that everybody <laughs> was trying to, to get, I, I didn't know how to handle that because wow. my mentality was only one way. I only knew how to be the underdog. And when I was the favorite and everybody expected all these things from me now, it was really hard for me to handle that. That's fascinating. And that's another example. I just kind of tangented into the story, but, yeah. but that is another layer that I wasn't prepared for. And I don't think I handled it very well at all. And my career post-World Cup was a little bit more of a steady decline. Like my whole career was yeah. up, 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 and I got to the peak, yeah. and then it just, I, I probably stayed there for a little bit, and then I started to drop off wow. for, for a lot of different reasons. Um, I started to, as I said earlier, embrace life in a different way. Um, I had my first baby. Yeah. Um, I had, because I became more of a name, I had more people approach me about doing outside projects. Right. And that's all, those are all distractions because you still in some ways have to have that singular focus to be the best every single day. And that time that I used to have to dedicate to that, I was giving somewhere else. Mm -hmm. And I think my play dropped because of that. And I think a lot of it was I just didn't know how to handle some of the pressure. I, I this is me looking back. Now at the time, I thought I had it all figured out. But when I look back on it now, uh, I didn't have it all figured out at all. But I think that's not just you, right? Like a lot of players or athletes or even entrepreneurs or whatever, they get to this situation where they like kind of reach the top. Mm -hmm. They're not sure what to do. Like a lot of players have gone through this, like Torres, I don't know. No, yeah, yeah. Torres, right? Um, I'm thinking, because I'm, I'm a Chelsea fan. So like Joe Cole, mm -hmm. he was like age 23, 4, 5, 6. Like he was great playing for England, everything. But then he had gone to World Cups and everything. So I think he was always like the underdog as well. He's kind of short. Mm -hmm. And um, I'm trying to think of any other athletes. Well, it's, it's like, weird, right? So if I went to go get help, yeah. and if I wanted to go talk to a therapist yeah. or whatever, 
I just thought, who's going to feel bad or want to listen to some guy who's crying about playing in a World Cup yeah. and having success? But I feel like everybody in your normal life has probably dealt with some failure. So they have some advice for you on that. Mm. But not a lot of people can relate to you with regard to having this really massive, overwhelming success. Yeah. And like, I don't know how you did it either, but you did it. Yeah. So they can't relate to you in the same way. And you feel as a person, how do I... How do I, like, I'm depressed right now after yeah. having the biggest achievement in my life. And that's r really hard. And I yeah. wish I had had the courage to go talk to a therapist yeah. um, and, and to really express that. And I think I, if I had talked to the right person, I probably would have gotten some assistance on how to handle these new, these new yeah. obstacles mm -hmm. that I wasn't prepared for. It's, it's such a unique it, thing. It's, it's really... And, and, and you've been here, athletes go through all the time, like, uh, what, Aaron Lennon. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, so many players. Who am I missing? I'm just thinking Aaron yeah the mental health mental, mental health thing, thing is really as much as I say it's been in really empowering for me yeah there's also the other side of it where when you start to kind of break into new ground if you're not prepared for that because I always visualize myself as the underdog we talk about visualization but I never really visualized myself as the favorite and how to hold off everybody else that's now trying to take my spot right that was a new territory for me that I didn't handle very well and and that's a whole different conversation that we could get into um, but the mental side of the game is, is, I think, an area that a lot of people don't talk about. Because when they, you, know, you break down a player, it's always like, well, how good is he technically? You know, how good is he tactically? Uh, how tough is he? Can he is he fast? Is yeah, he strong? Yeah, yeah. Like, mental health is like, all the way down yeah, at the right. bottom. So you but talk it, about it should be at the top. Yeah, it should be. be. Yeah. It really should be at the top. You got Joe Cole, as you say, Aaron Lennon. I mean, these guys were probably in the same boat. Mm. They, all of a sudden, I actually ran into players as well that, had more trouble with success than they did with failure. <laughs> That's crazy, right? Yeah. But you think like once you get to the top, it's like... Cause oh, I, it's I feel, sailing I, or it's easy. And, yeah. yeah. I feel this way like I'm obsessed with growing train effective. Yeah. I'm obsessed with football, trying to get to the next level and everything. But you, you, I, I think to myself, when you're at the top, it's like paradise. Like, oh, <laughs> I made it. I can sit on the yeah. beach and just like think, damn. Yeah. Damn. All that, all that work <laughs> really paid off and like, that's it. That's it. You do. I mean, you, you fulfill that side of it and there's some satisfaction in that for sure, but it's very short lived Yeah. because now you think, well, everybody's gunning for me. Mm -hmm. Now I want to stay here. How do I stay here? And, and you don't know how to stay there and you see it uh, in so many different ways. I mean, there's some guys that can handle it and the guys that, did, you know, let's say LeBron James yeah. to, to go take it to another sport. I mean, the guy's super talented, really smart. Um, but he still had to maintain a certain level. And, right, and right, I right. think what he did, where I maybe backed off from that a little bit, and you can see it from other players too, you have to keep pushing every single day. You have to, as, as simple as it sounds, you have to try to get better every single day. And if you continue to stay on that course, you're going you're gonna to reach heights you've never been able to reach before. So Jimmy, I know you had a lot of struggles in your career. Um, I know that you slept on floors. I know you had these struggles with UCLA getting into there. Um, and some problems with high school, right? So, you were in a team where uh, you were in a team where there'd be other teams in that same league in in high school, um, where scouts would be looking, but not necessarily at your team. So, I mean, what I really want to ask is like, was there ever a time in your career where you felt like, not even your career, let's say in your life, was there ever a time in your life when you felt like giving up? Uh, <laughs> when you felt like giving up, like head on pillow. At night, like late at night, you're sleeping, you're about to go to sleep and you're like, man, how do I do this? Like, or should I just, should I just give up? Like, what's... 
there was never really a moment where I felt like I wanted to give up per se. I feel like there was a moment of where do I go with this next? Yeah. Uh, as I mentioned to you earlier, I didn't want to give anybody the satisfaction of saying, hey, Jimmy, you're not good enough. And then I just quit. Like, I, who, I just, it still fires me up. Yeah. Like, who has the right to tell me that I can be good or good or good or bad at it? It sounds like then, did you have like a, some sort of early experience where a coach said, Jimmy, you're not good enough, which like really I'm kept the fire going? Maybe, maybe. Uh, I also grew up in a situation where my parents were 18 when they had me. And 18? I knew, yeah, I knew that kind of maybe inherently, I didn't really know how to verbalize it till I got much older that the better I was as a person, the better it was going to look on them for having me and keeping me and which is like super deep and heavy. But, but that I feel like is ingrained in me to, to be motivated and to, to made something of my life in, in some capacity. But tangenting, tangenting from that, because <laughs> that is pretty heavy. Uh, I, I, did, I did go through some struggles. I would say that in high school, I was probably the best player on my team. I was captain. Uh, I got all league and all that stuff. But there was another team, as you mentioned, mm. That was like the best, one of the best high school teams in the country. Yeah. And our country is quite big, so it's a, it's a pretty big deal. And so all those guys got a lot of attention. And I didn't get recruited by any big schools. There was no MLS when I was a kid. So the best thing that we could find was UCLA soccer, which, right. pro which produced a lot of top players. Brad Friedel had a long career over here, a lot of goalkeepers. Mm -hmm. um, Kobe Jones is another guy. A lot of national teamers came through UCLA. And I went to go watch their games all the time. I wanted to play for UCLA. It was like a big dream of mine. If I could just play for UCLA, I tell myself, that would be enough. It would be amazing. And I got, I played in a high school all-star game and a coach was like, hey, you're pretty good. Let me call UCLA for you. I was like, great, that would be amazing. <laughs> yes. So you see, I talked to the assistant coach and the assistant coach was like, hey, we can't get you in. Uh, my grades were fine. I had like 3.8 GPA and my SATs were, were, were solid. But hey, we, you just can't get you in. But here's, here's, or basically they said, no, 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 excuse me, I'll back that up. They sent me a letter that said, and I didn't, I wish I kept it, I didn't, that said, if you get into school, we'll let you try out. And I was like, sweet. So then I didn't get into school, so I was deflated there. Okay, what am I going to do? So I had a club coach call San Diego State, which is another Division I school. Division I's the highest uh, you can play in in our country at university level. And the coach was like, I've never heard of him, but you sound, you sound like a good player. Uh, we'll give you, we'll give them books. So they basically paid for three or four hundred dollars of my college career. I was like, that's enough. I'll take it. I can tell people I'm getting a scholarship. You know, you kind of want to have that buzz of like, yes, somebody wants me. But the coach had never heard of who I was. So they sent me this packet of all the things I needed to do to prepare. And it was, I don't know, it was pretty generic. Yeah. But I did all the stuff, added my own stuff. And I went down there and just like, I'm going to rock it. And I was like the fittest guy on the team. And I learned really early on that the coach never cuts the fittest guy on the team because he cares because it shows that you care and that you prepared. Wow. So you got to make sure you keep that in mind. Obviously, you got to be good at some point to maintain. You still have to be able to play, but yeah, you never really cut that. That was like your uniqueness, fittest guy. The fittest team. guy on the team. So I went down there. They had a the Cooper's test is two miles under twelve minutes. Well, this guy wanted to do th three miles under seven. No, three miles under twenty minutes or something like that. And I did it. I beat everybody by a minute. I was like seventeen Damn. minutes. I was flying, but I didn't want anybody to beat me. Wow. So I, I had that mentality the whole time. So we'll just fast forward here. After two years at San Diego State, it was a good experience for me because I had 30 to 40 games in Division I experience, but I wanted to get out. I didn't really get along with the coach. There was 10 freshmen that came in when I came in, and eight of us transferred out. I mean, that's how bad the coach was. So we were all really frustrated. We kind of talked ourselves into a frenzy a bit, <laughs> different conversation, but we were just all a little frustrated. So I just started cold calling coaches. 
and Cold say, calling. Hey, just calling. I, I called every top Division One school that was around me and said, listen, I'm looking to transfer. Are you guys interested in me? I ended up going, uh, getting a full scholarship to Cal State Northridge, which wasn't the top, top Division One school, probably comparable to San Diego State in terms of soccer school. And then all of a sudden, out of the blue, I called UCLA. UCLA's like, eh, maybe we can get you into school. You know, we can't give you any money, and we'll only give you one week to try out. Oh, my God. And I was like, I mean, in my head, I was like, I'm in. 100% I'm in. But I was, I, I still had to do, he's like, I'm still, we got to figure some things out. So while he was still figuring out whether that could work or not, I drove up there and went into his office and introduced myself. Just so he could see who I was, I was a real person, my size, and maybe that would make a difference. So yeah, I did a lot of crazy stuff, yeah. but I feel like you had to have that confidence to go in there and do that. And I don't know if it made a difference or not. Maybe he could tell you otherwise, the coach who ended up coaching the Seattle Sounders for a long time, won a bunch of MLS Cups, and has had a great coaching career. He's now coach of the Galaxy again. He's, this is his second stint with the club. But um, I, I feel like it made a difference. And he ended up getting me into school. I took it. I left all the money at Cal State Northridge. I'm like, I'm going to make the team. After a week, I'm going to prove it. I made the team. I was the first walk-on to start since Kobe Jones. Um, I played actually pretty sparingly over the next two years, and I was pretty bummed about it. Yeah. But five minutes into the first playoff game of my senior year, the guy that was in front of me tore his knee. So I played the rest of the way. We won the national championship. And I'm like, all right, I'm going to get into MLS for sure. MLS has started. You know, we won the national championship. Yeah. We're the best team in the country. And the other four seniors on the team got drafted, and I didn't. And I had to make a decision right then about what I was going to do. But, but did you, like, at this point, were you like, man, man, like maybe soccer isn't for me? Or, like, maybe I should do, <clears throat> what were you studying at the time? Mathematics. Like, maybe I should do something with math, like, I don't know, engineering yep. or something? Yeah, there was, there was a time that that crossed my mind, but I knew that I wasn't going to get my youth back, and school would always be there for me. Right. So I wanted to at least give it a shot and, and just dive in with both feet 100%. Right. And if it didn't work out or if I felt like, you know, this isn't going exactly the, the way I want it to or it, I, I'm, not, I'm not seeing enough incremental growth, right? right? It's one thing if... If you go and you go to 10 tryouts and you get cut from all 10 and you're not learning anything from that and it just seems like you're hearing the same things over and over. But I wasn't. I felt like I was, okay, if I got cut or if something wasn't working, I'd get a little bit something and then I'd go to the next one, similar to you. Just a little bit, a little bit. And you get a little bit. bit. And that was enough to keep me going. Like, there's something here and I think I can do it if I just stick with it. That's a great thing, actually, like, touching upon. That's the process. It's like, it's just a process. Like, everyone's going to go through this. They're all going to go through rejections. Reje rejections are going to test how much you really want something. But it's like, you just keep going, you keep learning, and don't get down about it almost. It's like, it's just the struggle. It's mm -hmm, just going to be mm -hmm. part of it. So well, One of my favorite years, if I look back on my career, was after I didn't get drafted. So I went down to a team in San Diego, back to San Diego, and it was a, a minor league team. And I slept on floors. I trained twice a day. Well, we trained once with the team and then trained on my own later in the afternoon. I, based, I didn't eat anything. <laughs> You know, and you're trying to like figure out a way to take this $800 that you're getting a month to sustain you and to get better because you need you need the fuel, you need food, you need all that stuff to, to yeah. keep pushing. But yeah. you figure out a way to, to make it work. I played 30 games in six months, and since we were so close to the Mexican border, we'd have some of the Liga MA Keys teams come over and play, which was awesome. You got to play like proper professional teams that didn't want to lose to Americans. Yeah. So they'd really kind of come <laughs> in with some energy. And you learned a lot from those games. So I played a ton of games in a short period of time. I got out of my bubble. 
I wasn't with my UCLA friends. I didn't know anybody. I was finally competing with other grown men uh, to put food on the table. And that is a different mentality than playing with your buddies at university. So when I look back on my career, that was easily my most enjoyable year because I was like in the thick of it. That year, out of all your years? All my years. World Cup That's it. Like in the squad? I look back on that year the most fondly because that was the year I had to determine whether I really wanted it or not. And that was the, the year where I learned how to become a, a real professional and how to train on my own and what it took to become a professional and how much I had to, the discipline I had to have and the good habits I had to have to, to really take that next step. I didn't know what was, if, I didn't know whether I was going to make it or not. Mm. And that, that feeling of, can I do this? Yeah. I, I can do it. Can I do this? I don't know. I'm going to keep trying and see what happens. Uh, that was the year where I figured it out and that's really propelled me. So the following year, I, I signed with an MLS team. Yeah. And I think when I look back, had I gone to MLS right away, yeah. I would have sat the bench. Right. But instead, I played six months and learned how to become a pro. You really learn everything. I learned yeah. everything I needed in those six months. I didn't have any story. I didn't have like any baggage with my old coach or anybody holding me back. It was just me versus me. Wow. And, and I figured out a way Maybe to Maybe that's why succeed. your story, like, it works so much and you and Jay's and everything because Maybe some players get the success too quick, but they don't really learn how to... They're learning already at the top mm -hmm. when it's better to go through this like bottom curve first. And then that's amazing. Yep. Yeah, the so bottom every, curve. Every, everything happens for a reason, I that's guess, it. in the end. That's it. It's yeah. great. <laughs> that's it. That's all I got. Hope you guys can learn something from this. <laughs> I'm hopeful. All right, Jimmy, now, the effective fan mm -hmm. has some questions. Oh. Uh, Feeling the heat now. Feeling the heat? <laughs> what, the warm ballers? <laughs> the warm ballers heat. Stay warm, everybody. <laughs> I love that. Um, question five. Uh, so we got, we got someone, his name is Ahmed Sido 90 He asks, Messi or Ronaldo? Good question. I would say that Messi is blessed with more natural talent. I think the game becomes really easy for him, and he sees things so quickly. Now, I had the opportunity to play against Messi in the Copa America. You tackled him, yeah? I did tackle him. Clean tackle. He doesn't get tackled very often. He doesn't get clean tackled very often. So that's a pat on the back, feather in the cap for me. Uh, and I have a picture of it, which is great. But there's something about Ronaldo that I don't think he gets enough credit for. The guy works extremely hard, and he works so hard to maintain that status and to keep pushing. So I feel like more people should relate to his story as opposed to Messi's. But there's something about Messi who's so gifted and talented that it just, you're drawn to him yeah. because he can do so many things. Yeah. Uh, a wizard. He is. He's incredible. He, he's the better player, but it's almost like I have more respect for Ronaldo because of the path that he had to take to maintain his greatness. All right, next question I got, uh, number six. So Hashir Khan asks, Actually, why don't you just come and ask a question? Here, give me the camera. All right, Sit here sure. in the middle. Uh-oh. Uh, now I'm really on the spot. Jimmy? How's it going? Nick? Yeah? What's um, your question, Ash? Question. <laughs> What's the biggest difference in the MLS from when you played versus now? I would say the quality's improved to a certain extent because when I played, especially when I first got started, there were only 10 teams in the league mm -hmm. and there were only 18 roster spots. Mm -hmm. So that made it really difficult to get in. And, and yeah, and the, and the quality in the team was better. Now you have 22 teams and there's 25 spots. Mm. So in some ways, the quality has been diluted a, a, a bit. Uh, the team that was really good when I was younger was DC United. 
and they had eight national teamers in their starting 11. Mm -hmm. Now, I think you'd be hard pressed to find any team in MLS that has eight national teams starting in their yeah, starting 11. True. So, so that's changing because I think our academy system's getting a lot better. Um, but there are, there are times where I feel like I, I think I could slot back in there and, yes. and be okay. I could hold my own. <laughs> but but it's only, I, I think that's only going to last for a few more years until our academy systems really start to pump out some okay. really high quality kids. Mm -hmm. One in particular, Eric Palmer Brown, who's with Sporting Kansas City, my former club. He just signed with Manchester City. Oh, okay. So, you know, he's just one example, I think, of, of, yeah, it's a big jump. Uh, he was at Porto for a little while on loan and now he's back and they sold him to, to Man City or he left, his contract was up. So uh, th that's just one story I think that we're gonna hear a lot about, okay. very similar um, moving forward. And that's, that's just a good thing. That's, uh, that's evidence yeah, definitely, of, of definitely. the kids that we'll be producing. Yeah, cool. Definitely. Yeah, it's a good question. All right, carry on. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks, Hash. Gonna slide here again. All right, so Jay Osborne asks, what is the biggest milestone you have made in your life? And biggest what, what, what? The biggest milestone. milestone What's that? Milestone. Sorry, milestone. sorry, sorry. Not mile time. Like, yeah, yeah, milestone. Um, that you made in your life and what made you strive to achieve your goal? I, I think the obvious milestone for me is playing in the World Cup. When I got named to the team, I was buzzing. This is the most incredible feeling. Wait, how did you find out about getting in the team? So the coach, the national team coach was Bruce Serena, who's actually yeah. the current national team coach yeah. again. He went on SportsCenter, which is a big show, and named the team there. ESPN. ESPN. It didn't even let anybody know. Really? Which was crazy. He just said it on the ESPN. Yeah, he just said it on the ESPN. And, and I mean, I had a good feeling, but I didn't get tipped off or anything. And I got named, and it's just, it's incredible. And my wife and I went and had a great dinner, and we just couldn't believe it. We were just in awe of the whole thing. <laughs> what's, what's crazy, though, is you get over that about... We get named, and then you have about three weeks of playing with your club until you go into that month-long yeah. pre-World Cup camp. And you don't want to get hurt in those three weeks. You're kind of like just playing, playing it cool. And then in that month-long camp, you're killing yourself. And by the end of that camp, you're like, God, you know what? Making the World Cup team's cool, but getting to play in the World Cup would be something yeah. different. And so I got to play against Italy and Ghana, and it was a really cool experience. And, and to, to be able to say that I held my own in a World Cup uh, is something I'm really proud of. So that would be my biggest milestone. And then striving to my goal, I mean, as much as I always thought that I could play in a World Cup, it was so far-reaching. They just, just I, I don't know. I mean, I, I, I had to have those little goals along the way. Yeah. You can't just say, I want to play in a World I mean, you can say that you want to play in a World Cup, but you have to have those smaller, more attainable goals. Attainable. And then all of a sudden, you get to a point where the next step is the World Cup. Yeah. And that's what happened for me. And, and uh, I can't even believe that I did it sometimes. <laughs> I think this is crazy. It's crazy. It's like we're talking about somebody else. Jada Merritt. Great. Um, bonus question. Bonus question. All right. Um, Jimmy, we've been talking for a while now. <laughs> Insight is like 10 out of 10, 11 out of 10 right now. Um, I want to ask you the last question. It's a bonus question. Okay. I haven't told you yet. What is your biggest struggle right now? Right now? Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah, you've had all these like success yeah. in your career, everything, wow, the YouTube going. What's your biggest struggle right now? Um, I would say having some direction as to what I want to do. You know, when I was a player... <laughs> Let's keep going. No. Come on, man. I've got like going deep here. <laughs> as a player, I think it was pretty clear what you were trying to aspire to. I want to get to the national team. I want to play for my country. I want to play in a World Cup. What I do now, it's really hard to know where to push. Uh, 
I'm on YouTube. Yeah, I want to get to a million subscribers. But what does that really mean? And, and how am I doing it? I want to make content that is engaging. I want to make content that is meaningful. And I want to make content that makes a difference. And so not all my content does that. But I want people to know that it's made with love. That there's thought behind it. And I feel like that was the same type of person I was when I was a player. That there's thought behind what I'm doing and I love what I'm doing and I'm giving it everything that I have. So there are a lot of similarities to my playing career. The hard part is I don't really know where I'm going with it because I have a really strong pull to coach. Mm. Uh, I want to, yeah I do, I want to coach. Uh, I just have two beautiful daughters right now yeah. and I'm coaching them and I, at life ultimately, and I want to, to be around for them because I feel like even the best coaches get fired. And I don't want to be a gypsy or a vagabond where I'm traveling all around the country chasing my dream instead of giving them a nice established home mm. and comfort and having them develop their own relationships and dreams so they can reach those. And once they get into high school, or, or excuse me, once they get into college, then I'm probably free to coach. Right. And then at that point, I'll feel like I've accrued another 10 years of experience to even offer more to my right. players. And, and I think that's what I'll be ready to do. I don't really know where this YouTube thing's going, but... It's going somewhere. It's going somewhere. It, it's so and like, I'm trying to get better at it every single day. Yeah. And that it's, I, I actually have the same habits that I did as a player that I'm using now. And I think my former professional career is really helping me. Wow. Kind of, kind of fight through the lows because there are. I mean, I think I crank out and you probably do some really meaningful, awesome videos. And you're like, why aren't people watching this? It's like yeah. the best thing ever. You get this all the time. Yeah, of course. And you Especially just, when you do it daily. Like, yeah, you just have to stay the course and yeah. not and just keep believing in what you're capable of and, and try to get better every single day and, and eventually you'll be like whoa how did i get a million subscribers yeah, yeah, that's yeah. amazing i think the interesting thing though i think it's really so interesting is like all these teams these like um youtube teams that are coming up and how that's going to impact like football in general who knows like your you, maybe your long-term thing is to become a coach but maybe these um these youtube teams are going to become so big and there's like money involved and, and every prizes involved, which are really meaningful. And then you become a coach for these teams, even though right now it sounds like kind of stupid. No way. I don't think it's stupid at all. It's awesome. Yeah. 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 Right. Yeah. Warren Ballers FC for life. <laughs> His own team. You're yeah, that's it. Team. I'm just going to own it and coach it. Are we going to play like effective FC versus Warren Ballers? That'd be right? awesome. Yeah. <laughs> I'm down anytime. I hold you to it then. All right. Jimmy, thank you. No problem. It's been a great No great problem. My pleasure. Thing we did. I don't know if it's an interview, vlog, whatever. But it was great having you here, Jimmy. Yeah, I, I hope you. people are still watching at this point. This is probably yeah. a really long-ass video. Yeah. <laughs> the movie. If you're still watching, leave a comment. That's it. Two thumbs up. Hit like and subscribe. Yeah. Oh, we, that's, we should probably do the plug. No, um, don't worry about it. No plugs. No plugs? No, it's fine. Okay. We I'm, just not, keep... I'm not on here for a plug. I'm here to help you out. Oh, okay. Can we just keep rolling and keep that in? At Jimmy Conrad <laughs> on uh, Instagram. And Twitter. And, and, Twitter. Yeah. and yeah. Snapchat is a bit weird. No, it's Simi John Rad. I'm not really on Snap anymore because Instagram stories kind of just, I don't know, it's just easier to be on one place. Really? Okay. I, I, I try to do some Snap, but I'm not as consistent, let's say. Like, like, your, like your crossbar challenge, really right, consistent. Right, right. Like the crossbar was like a foot higher, you would have yeah. hit it like 17 times in a row. Yeah. Well, I got it six times in a row once. Yeah, and against has, Neymar, which is amazing. Well, I didn't actually play against Neymar, but oh, I, you did? I oh, you did? Neymar's video to mine. Ah, he I did see, it with the F2 guys. Oh, that's right. He got three in a row. I got six in a row. That's so. incredible. Um, since it's the last 20 seconds of video, subscribe to Jimmy. Thank you, Jimmy. Yes, no Love problem, it. Nick. <laughs> Best of luck with everything. Thank you. Cool.
Yo, so Effective Fam, if any of you were wondering how you can train like a professional because you don't have good coaches or teams around you, then I made something for you. Look, check this out. You just drop your workouts in your schedule, work out with whatever you got, and earn points and badges. All the content is made by the legend himself, John Moses, and even Premier League coaches will educate you. Awesome, right? Thousands of players from over 45 different countries have used it to get to the next level. And guys, if you've ever dreamt of living with us in London, England, here's your chance. If you're between the ages of 15 and 25, we've got spots open for our in-residence program for 2017 and 18. Check the link below. And if you want to see more content from me, here's my channel, Nick Humphreys. Subscribe, hit it, hit it, hit it. And of course, subscribe to the Train Effective channel. We've got new content daily. Peace.